Greetings, content creators, and welcome to another episode of Mediavine On Air. I'm your host, Jenny Guy, and today I'm focusing on this timeless quote from the famous and somewhat problematic Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Today's SEO Mythbusters mega episode was the finale from our fourth Summer of Live season, originally made just a couple of weeks ago. My rock star guests, Mediavine CEO Eric Hochberger and Mike Pearson of Stupid Simple SEO, really got into it, separating fact from fiction on this most important topic for anyone seeking internet success in 2021. Is site speed a crucial ranking factor? How do recipe cards affect ranking? Is high word count always crucial? Were just a few of the questions we tackled. We all learned so much from these guys, and we knew we wanted to get their wisdom into podcast form ASAP. And to keep this learning train going, we've linked to some of their additional offerings like Eric's free SEO like a CEO series in the show notes. And have you ever listened to one of our show guests and thought I could do that? Now is your chance. Click on the link to our casting call in the show notes, submit, and you might find yourself on Teal Talk season four. Now let's bust some SEO myths. You're listening to Media Vine On Air, the podcast about the business of content creation. From SEO to ads and social media to time management. If it's about helping content creators build sustainable businesses, we are talking about it here. I'm your on-air host, Media Vine's Jenny Guy. Summer is coming to an end, so across America, we've got kids going back to school, either virtual or in-person. And today's mind-boggling fact is that another season of Mediavine Summer of Live has flown by, and we are here today for our season finale of our fourth season, which is also equally mind-boggling. It has been a wild and wonderful ride that I've been privileged to take with you all, so thank you. Now, we're going to close this season out with a bang. No show for content creators would be complete without spending a good amount of time covering today's topic. SEO or search engine optimization, that acronym that makes the interwebs go round. It's an essential skill for anyone who wants to make a living on the World Wide Web. And as such, there are countless experts, courses, books, webinars, social posts, all promising to make you a lot of money and an expert in the topic. And I would say at least probably half the time, they're offering conflicting advice. So that's a lot of fun for all of us in our pocketbooks. So what is fact? What's fiction? How do you know where to go for reliable information and sound educational advice? Say hello to my little friends. That was my Al Pacino from Scarface. Sounds good, right? Um, one of my guests today is a familiar face around here, Mediavine co-founder and CEO, Eric Hochberger. Eric, welcome. Hello, Jenny. Fun to be back a couple of weeks later. Yeah. I know. I know. We've, we're so much older and wiser now than we were two weeks ago. And while this is his first time on a Media Vine Live, my other guest is no stranger to most content creators. Mike Pearson is the founder of Stupid Simple SEO, where he helps bloggers scale their traffic and income with SEO. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Jenny, for having me on. That was quite the introduction video. Um, I am pumped to be here. We are pumped to have you. We are excited. Everybody, this is going to be, we know, we were knowing this was going to be a wild and crazy live. We are ready for your comments and questions. We will get to as many of them as we can. But what we are going to start with is 
both of my esteemed guests today contributed some popular SEO myths that they hear a lot when they're talking with their clients, when they're in the Facebook groups, everywhere. So we're going to raise them, raise the issues and have a discussion about them. But like I said, if you have a question, drop it in the comments. And I'm gonna start out actually by asking you a question, which is what is your biggest challenge when it comes to SEO? Drop that in the comments, say hi and let's get going. First of all, this one is from Mike, and I'm gonna actually, we'll start with, you know what, here's what we'll do. I'll set, share Mike's uh, myth, have Eric start, and then have Mike weigh in. We'll do that. Mike's, Mike's first myth is speed, site speed, is a crucial ranking factor. All right, Eric, this is, uh, this uh, is tailor-made for you. Emph emphasis on crucial, crucial. Crucial. Ah, on crucial. Okay, then yes, I would agree it is a myth, it is a crucial ranking factor. Uh, it is one of many signals, as I think Mike will probably go and, and bust this myth. And if you look in the top 10 results, you can generally see uh, some not fast sites that sneak their way in there. If you're a food blogger, you'll often see, I don't know, Food Network up there that's atrocious. Uh, and there's a lot of examples that you can see that clearly it can't be the biggest factor if horrible slow sites, or horribly slow sites on horrible sites, uh, well, depending on your definition, I guess can still rank in the top 10. My opinion is generally as uh, bloggers, we don't necessarily have the luxury of uh, something like a food network, that maybe we don't have the same kind of authority that they have. Uh, so for us, I think that's why we all obsess about things like page speed and, and maybe we do a little too much and that's pretty funny coming from me. Well, I think uh, you hit the word with obsession. That's kind of where I was going with this. So obviously page speed is important. I think everyone should strive to have, you know, the fastest loading site with the best post and you know we all want our sites to load fast you know what i was trying to get at with this is and i think you hinted at it earlier is that you know i think I, what i've seen in various facebook groups my own groups is bloggers like obsessing and i mean obsessing about their their page speed and, and trying to get a fraction of a second off and spending weeks on this or spending thousands of dollars hiring people when they could be doing other stuff which i think is more important like finding good keywords, writing content, maybe building links, like the, 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 the main pillars, in my opinion, of SEO. And again, coming from where I'm coming from, I work mainly with bloggers who don't have a team of people who could, you know, they don't have a site speed guy. It's like, they're doing all this stuff themselves. So when we're talking about like 80, 20 SEO or, you know, the, the big levers that we want to pull, I would maybe focus on site speed for like a day, you know, maybe try to get it as fast as you possibly can. If you want to think about, you know, hiring some help, it's obviously something we want to do. It's, it's one of the few things that Google has gone on the record, right? They don't always say this is a ranking factor. They've said it's like a tiebreaker. Maybe if you have limited time to work on your blog, I would, you know, spend a little time on your site speed, but I, I would rather publish 20 posts in a week than worry about shaving a half a second off my site speed is basically what I was getting at all very uh, reasonable. And I think that one of the problems with people quote working on site speed is that oftentimes it's something that's out of the realm of control or expertise mm -hmm. for a lot of content creators. So it's, it can feel like spinning wheels. Is that something you guys would agree with? Like sometimes if you don't have somebody to go do things for you, is that accurate? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a very technical and I don't pretend to be, you know, I, I think it, I consider it a, a kind of a subsection of like SEO expertise. I am not a site, like I cannot go into your back end of WordPress and fix your site speed. Like literally I couldn't do that. I could recommend someone. It, it's very technical, like even for me. So I think 
people get very confused. They, they plug their site into the Google Speed Insights and you're getting a list of 72 errors that, that, that don't even make any sense. So that's like, it's so overwhelming. But I think the problem is people think it's so important that they have to fix every single error on that list. So I think that adds to it for sure. Eric, how about you? As somebody who is, I mean, I don't want to say like overly obsessed. I will say mildly, <laughs> mildly obsessed with site speed. This happens, I think, to every engineer that goes down the page speed uh, rabbit hole. Is the problem is you do want to correct every little thing that PageSpeed Insights is telling you. And I unfortunately know how to. And if I don't, I'm going to Google it and figure out how to do it. And I'm going to drive myself nuts until I do. So you can test the Hollywood gossip and you can see there's still a uh, missing attribute on height and width. But other than that, everything is now passing with flying <laughs> colors. But that thing haunts me in my sleep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it can become an obsessive thing. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to take a quick moment to plug Trellis. Something like that does make it a little more accessible to most publishers. But yeah, if you don't have the technical knowledge, that's not going to be the best use of your time. If you need to spend more than a few days doing it and you're pulling out your hair, that's a few days you weren't writing new content. You weren't doing keyword, keyword research. You weren't doing things that were actually going to lead to more traffic. I do see, obviously, a handful of publishers that are unbelievably uh, knowledgeable at this kind of page feed stuff, but most of them have really seen that it seems to outsource. So if you can find someone who can do it, I think it's worth your time because it is uh, a ranking factor as Google says, but yeah, don't obsess. I like that. So the most important yeah. thing then here is, is in controlling your site speed sounds more like what you're not adding to your site. Is that accurate? Like really monitoring and guiding the things you're adding to your site that could be slowing you down. So, I mean, that's one of the problems I even see with Trellis. Like after a publisher installs it and they might have 96 or 99 scores and we see all the unbelievable stuff that they'll publish in the group, uh, then they'll go and install some random uh, tracking pixel or some new thing that some influencer network sent them and it will tank their entire page speed. I mean, that's the other unfortunate thing. If you hire someone, it isn't a set it and forget it. It's a thing you do have to maintain. So it's, it is a complex beast. Okay, we have about 500 questions already. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start here with the, the most recent one, which was, is we have, is Trellis available to us all now, says Amber. Kippy says, please open Trellis for more bloggers. And Diana says, I don't worry about speed because of Mediavine and Trellis. So Eric, can you give us a little good news about Trellis quickly, and then we'll go to the next big topic. Everyone who has applied for the beta, and if you haven't done it yet, is getting an invite by the end of this month. So apply now. You will be able to get Trellis if you want it. We're, we'll move forward. Okay, Jan, this is Jan's latest. This is related to something Mike just said. I'm now wondering, is it better to post 20 posts in a week or space them out to be 20 in a month? You know, I think this might be on one of my myths as well, because we all, I always get this question, should, should I space my content out? Should I, is it important how much content I publish? And like the, the only answer that I really can give is my goal is to publish as much high quality content as I can. Full stop. That's it. Whether you know, and, and every blogger situation is different. Some people are working on their site by themselves part time, and maybe you can get one post out a week. Then do that, right? Some people have a team of writers. Like I have a new niche site, and I mean we're pumping out 40,000 words of content a month. But that's because I have people helping me, right? So it's it's going to depend on your situation. So is it better to post twenty in a week or space them out? If I had 20 drafts ready to go, like in, in good condition and, and they were high quality, I would hit publish on them today, right away. I, I want them in the index. I want Google crawling them. I, I want them out as fast as possible. I don't believe, and this is my opinion, that it, there's any benefit 
and I've heard, and you hear this all the time. Should I space it out? Google likes consistent publishing. I don't know. Maybe we can get into that a little later. But to, to specifically answer the question, pub, as soon as it's ready, I, I'm hitting publish every, every time. I'm not going to wait. Eric, weigh in on the same topic, please. No, I'm very similar. Um, it's funny. So I came from obviously the Hollywood gossip was our main site, and that is you publish it, you know, five minutes before it's ready, and you fix it after it goes live. Like <laughs> it's all about speed on that site. Then you come into the blogging world where uh, everyone's like, oh, I only post at two o'clock on Mondays and Wednesdays, and that is my my time. So I, I think there has to be a medium between the two that you should find. Uh, obviously, with your social media, you maybe don't want to flood people with all 20 of those posts yeah. at once. But separate that in your mind, your newsletter, your uh, social media, and all that from your blog. Google wants it as soon as they can get it. So give it to Google as soon as they can. And worry about your other ways that you present stuff to your readers and space it out there. Uh, because uh, I have bad news for you. Most people aren't coming to your homepage. Most people are coming directly to your articles. So don't obsess whether you put 20 things up at once. Uh, Google won't. The only, only caveat to that is you want Google to think that you continuously update your site. So don't post 20 things now and never again for the rest of the year, or you'll probably hurt your crawlability. But I, I don't think that's really the question that Jan was asking. So as soon as you can. Mike, follow up on that? No, I, Eric, it, and, I'm, and I'm always come at this from like an SEO angle or people finding me through search, you know, but Eric raises a good point. If you truly have like, and this is not the way that I build my sites, but if you have a following, like you have a true following of people who are coming to your homepage every day, then you're right. It's not going to make sense to blast them with 20 new articles. So that's an important caveat. If that's how you operate, or if you truly have a brand and people are coming to your homepage, that, that makes total sense and something that I should have said. Okay. Uh, this is another question for everyone and it's come, I can't even specify who it's come from because it's come from about 10 people. So guys, cheap or free, best keyword tools, keyword finding tools. What do you recommend? <laughs> Can you pull a rabbit out of a hat? About 10 rabbits out of a hat. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, personally, I use uh, SEMrush. So that is the opposite of free. That is probably the most expensive of the tools. At the end of the day, they're all getting their data from the same place. So you don't need to go with the most expensive one. I like SEM Rush because it offers a lot of other tools that we use and competitive analysis and cool things. If you don't need all that, I don't know, I hear key search is pretty good. There's some definitely cheaper alternatives. If you really need the only one that I know that's free, it's, that's the Google uh, Keyword Planner tool that you basically sign up for an AdWords account. And that's going to have the most limited of the data it's going to provide you, but it is technically free. Uh, or you can just go around and use your 10 searches a month or whatever the tools give you. I, I mean, I, I think it's it's worth the investment and not trying to go for free. Yeah, no, I'm, my answer is pretty much the same. So personally, I, you know, I always like to, and I, I, the reason I was making that face, because I, I try to be cognizant of costs, right? Because at least in, in my world, you know, bloggers are trying to, you know, they're looking for a good deal, which makes total sense. But I always like to, you know, I use Ahrefs, which is basically... You know, with SEM Rush, those are the the two, and they have very similar capabilities. And it's not cheap, right? The 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 small plan is ninety nine a month. The plan I use is one eighty a month, and I'm not suggesting that anyone should pay that much um, for a keyword tool, but just to be transparent. So I use Ahrefs. I obviously think it's worth it, you know. But I run a lot of sites, and we we do a lot of. I'm in there literally every single day. Eric said they have the competitive tool. They've got a couple other really cool tools that I'm just like obsessed with. Um, so on the high end, it's SEM Rush or Ahrefs. You know, in that thirty dollar a month range, I think Uber suggests is actually decent. They've gotten a lot better. And I think they actually have a lifetime 
thing if you want to look into it i bought it just because i like to play with tools there i think don't quote me they're at 30 dollars a month it's gotten a lot better it, it's pretty good key search is my recommendation for cheap tools i think it's don't quote me again 13 bucks a month or something super cheap and it has frankly a lot of the functionalities of these other tools it's just it's a little clunkier a little slower the ui is not as good it doesn't have all like the features but if you're looking to save money and you're looking to invest in a tool key search would be my my top low cost option okay we, we threw out a ton of suggestions we've got people using uber we've got people using keywords everywhere key search we've got suggestions for many different things we we have another recurring question that actually was one of mike's myths so i'm going to address a bunch of you at the same time while hitting this myth word count slash all seo posts have to be 2000 plus words we're going to start with eric on this one and then go to mike oh man um no they most certainly don't uh what is my favorite website is today a jewish holiday uh, ranks with one word on the homepage. I shouldn't admit that, but anyways, that ranks number one for that search term. One word, yes or no, that's all it really has on the page. So no, you don't need 500 to 2000 words, but generally longer content is going to have more long tail keywords and help you pick up more related search. But to win the actual search term you want, no. Uh, if you just have good quality content, it does not need to be 500 to 2000 words. Generally, the reason I encourage it, well, obviously, from an ad perspective, it allows readers to stay engaged longer on your site, read more content, make you more money. That's all wonderful. But also from an SEO perspective, it's going to provide more long tail. So it doesn't have to be to win the term, uh, but it'll certainly help you win other terms. Yeah, this is like my favorite. I was actually on a separate, I was on a podcast last week and this question came up. It's like my favorite SEO topic because I think, you know, when blog, you know, maybe five years ago when bloggers were getting a little into SEO. It used to be every post had to be 500 words, right? That, that's what it was. Every post has to be 500 words. Then Brian Dean at Backlinko came out with this study. The average post on the first page of Google is 1,890 words, right? So this is where the 2,000 word thing, right? They, people will see a graph, they'll see the headline. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it's per, like every Facebook group. I heard for SEO, every post has to be 2,000 words, right? Like, of course, that's not true, right? The, the way that we should think about this is what is like the intent behind the search, right? Like think about why is someone searching for something in Google in the first place? And, and the example that I gave last week, and I'm going to give it again, I'm sorry if you hear that podcast, but right. If someone's Googling, right. How to tie your shoe, right. Do they need 2,500 words of written content, right? Is that going to answer their question? Is that going to solve their problem? Or would, would a better post be like a bunch of pictures in a video in like 50 words, right? Because that for, for that search, for that keyword, for that intent, you don't need 2,500 words. It just doesn't make any sense. You're, you're not helping the user. I think Google can figure this out by now. If you Google that keyword, it's like a wiki how illustration in a ton of YouTube videos, right? So but don't think about it in terms of should every post be X, Y, Z. It's more like, what are you writing about? What is the keyword? What is the topic? And what is the intent behind, the, you know, why is someone searching for that? And what are they looking like? What do they expect on the other end of that search? And then on the other hand, if someone is searching for how do I save for retirement, right? Well, that's probably not a 50 word answer. You know, that's probably maybe that's 5,000 words with like many, 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 many subtopics. So it depends on what the keyword is. But I, I, I when I was looking at this as part of the questions, what I was going to say is Eric makes a really good point. The caveat is if it's a list post, you know, this is where the long tail comes in, right? 
the different ways to lose weight, right? If you have a list of five, you know, maybe that's fine. But if I have a list of 50, then I'm going to get that long tail, right? For this, like, if maybe I put like the keto diet on my list and someone didn't, and, and someone is long tailing how to lose weight on the keto diet, then I have a chance to rank for that long tail, right? Which is where the length arguably can give you a benefit, right? Because I'm writing about 50 subtopics. This guy's writing about five. And if someone attaches a long tail to their search and it hits one of my 50 on my list, then I have a chance to rank and, and they don't. So I, I agree with that. And I think part of where that comes in, but, and I think that's mostly with, primarily with list posts, but really what is, what is the user, put, your, put yourself in the shoes of your user. What do they expect to find on, on the other end? Do they want 50 words and a bunch of pictures or do they want 5,000 words? I mean, I just think that Eric owes you a big debt of gratitude for bringing up a site that is more um, uh, embarrassing than is today a Jewish holiday or not. How to tie your shoes. That <laughs> I, was, I was going to ask, who, yeah, what is the intent behind that search? Now we have to know. <laughs> is that a thing? That, is, that a, is that a real life example, Mike? Is someone Googling Well, I'm that? just giving like a, like a very short answer, right? Uh, I mean, okay. it probably doesn't need to be 3,000 or maybe it does. I don't know. Well, here's a question that I'm going to throw out there. We'll let Mike start on this one. Robert asked this, can ads slow down your website ranking? How do you find the sweet spot in terms of optimizing for income? Eric takes a sip of coffee. We'll let Mike start out. How am I starting out on this one? This is not my expertise. Listen, the whole reason we're, we're creating insights, we're creating content, we're trying to rank, we're trying to get traffic because we want to make money, right? So of course I want ads on my site. I, I want affiliates on my site. So do ads slow down your site? Yes, they do. This is this is where we come in with site speed, right? This is exactly, and I'm not I'm not going after your specific question, but this is what kind of what I'm talking about, where it's like I'm afraid to I'm afraid to make money with my site because I think it's going to slow it down, right? Like the goal is to rank and get traffic in order to make money. The goal is not to have the fastest website in the world, right? So I know that doesn't specifically answer the question, but from a mindset like perspective angle, this is. This is kind of what I'm talking about. So can ads slow down your website? Yes. Can they slow down your ranking? I don't really think so. If you're with Mediavine, you're fine, right? Let's put it that way. But, you know, Google will say, and if you go through the, the search evaluator guidelines, whatever it is, Google acknowledges in those guidelines that websites make money by having ads. It's totally fine to have ads. You know, you don't want to blast them above the fold and block out all of your content, right? And again, this is, this is not my place to talk about this. This is more Eric's angle, but how do you find this sweet spot in terms of optimizing for income? You, you put your ads on, on Mediavine because they're going to do a really good job. But can your, can ads slow down your site? Yes, but it's, I mean, have you seen Forbes? For, Forbes ranks all over the place. And again, authority is a big place, but don't be afraid to have ads because it's going to hurt your site speed. This is kind of what, I'm, what we were talking about earlier. Put this guy in the payroll. Look at this. That was perfect. That's all we needed. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, that is basically going to be the summary. Like Google's Google has the loosest definitions of what you need to do if you have ads running and it's don't put them above the fold and have more content than you have ads. Basically follow the coalition for better ad standards is what they tell you in their starter guide. So like don't run an insane number of ads. So if you're with Mediavine, we won't let you. So it's okay. Um, we control the placement of your in content based on a frequency and none of those frequency percentages are higher than Google would ever penalize you for. And we don't even do ads above the fold unless you like really want them. So you would be hard pressed to have Mediavine ads hurt your rankings. Uh, yes, they do impact page speed, which is why you should turn on, if you're with Mediavine, all the optimized ads for page speed settings. If you're not, 
uh, make sure your provider uh, can do that for you, which is basically the idea of make sure your ads don't slow down your core web vitals. Those are the main ways in which Google determines speed. So if your ads are not impacting your core web vitals and you don't have a ton of ads in the fold above the fold, then no, they're not going to impact your ranking. So optimize towards making money. Uh, that's what we recommend. And Eric just tossed this in. So we're going to jump back to one of the big myths. He said the the CWV word, uh, core web vitals, that term that it has been, everyone's been talking about it, not only in the SEO world, not only in the content creation world, they're talking about it literally everywhere, anyone on the internet world. Uh, so I want to talk about how important is core web vitals? How important are they? Are they a tiebreaker? What are, impact do they have on your ranking, Mike? So I think the latest that I saw um, was it Search Engine Roundtable said that at first Google said it was a tiebreaker. Now they're saying it's a little bit more than a tiebreaker, but it's not important than relevance. And they always use that word. Um, so the way that I look at this is the same way that I look at site speed because they're somewhat intertwined. I obviously I'm, I'm not going to tell you to not, you know, try to pass it, right? Obviously we want a fast site. We want to pass for web vitals. If you can't do it by yourself, think about having someone help you out, right? Because and this is the thing, and it's tough to give advice on this kind of stuff because every site, literally every page is is different, right? I can't, right? I, you, basically, you have to have someone come into your site and, and analyze your site, right? Because depending on what you have on your page, you're going to get different messages and different results and different scores in Web Vital. So in order, it's like almost impossible to give like a broad you know, helpful explanation on how to improve them that's going to fit everybody because it really depends on your specific page. At a high level, again, it's the same answer I'm going to give on page speed. Google has said it's a ranking factor. It's probably a small one now. Who knows if it'll be a more important rank factor. It's never going to be more important than your content, than your relevance, than your backlinks, in my opinion, ever. But it's one of those things like, yes, you should you should try to work on your site to pass those because Google is literally telling us we should do it. Yes. And the majority <laughs> of them from what I've seen are just kind of common sense things that you want to have to have a better website experience for right. your viewers. Yeah. Eric, Core Web Vitals. Yeah, no, I mean, the page experience algorithm, as Mike said, is basically a little bit more than a tiebreaker. So I don't know what that puts it in the signal rankings, but certainly right below uh, all the ones that you mentioned. Again, though, it's similar to page speed, uh, though it encompasses more than just page speed. But I love about them, for the first time ever, we have a number and it's actually a pass fail with Google and not an arbitrary thing, which is 99% of other Google things. So it is fun to be able to get that green. Uh, but no, it's not going to have a huge impact on your site. We got, I don't know, the Hollywood gossip and Food Fanatic and all of our ONOs and something like 74%, I think, of Trello sites are passing it. And there hasn't been a significant bump yet, but Google has said that it's uh, going to be kind of slow ramp up. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think similar to page speed, don't obsess over it. If you can't pass on your own, uh, your time will be better spent doing other things. Uh, but if you're able to afford uh, someone to help or, you know, I'm going to be the worst shill ever for this thing, trellis, uh, do it. Like if you can, if you can pass in a way that is not going to prohibit you from running the rest of your business, do it, but don't obsess. I have, this is a great question. It's coming from Gloria Dugan. What is a good keyword volume to look at to get traffic when you're starting out? That, that, Gloria, that name sounds very familiar. I think Gloria is in my program. Come on, Gloria, you know we don't look at keyword volume, so I don't look at volume 
that's not how I kind of do keyword research. And this is where having a good tool and the tools are estimates, let's be clear, but it gives us some kind of guidance. SEMrush and Ahrefs have metrics on traffic, like how much, how much traffic is this page getting? And again, it's an estimate, let's be 100% clear, but it gives us some way to prioritize, right? So just to give a little bit more of an explanation, an SEMrush, you know, you can plug a page into the tool and it's going to estimate it's getting X amount of traffic from Google per month. It's usually on the low end. So the reason that I don't really look at keyword volume is because we've talked about this earlier, a single post can rank for literally thousands of different keywords, like literally thousands of keyword variations. So if you're only looking at one keyword and its search volume, you're getting 5%, maybe 10% of the total picture on the, the, the traffic potential for that keyword, right? So, because most people or most bloggers, they, they, when they're, they're doing this type of keyword research, they have one main keyword in mind, right? They'll, they'll put the keyword into a tool. It'll say 260 searches. And then they'll say, is that is that good? And there's like no way to answer that, right? Because again, a, a, a post that's talking about that keyword is also naturally going to rank for hundreds and potentially thousands of different long tail keywords. The 260 doesn't really mean anything because we're, we're only looking at 20% of that tail. So to answer your question, I don't have a keyword volume. Like, I mean, I'll, I look at it in Ahrefs. I mean, if it's a 10, good, right? That, that That's something. It, 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 it's if, if it shows up in the tool, it's probably good enough. I, I'm more looking at the competition, like that's a better question to ask. Who's ranking on, on page one and can I compete with them, right? That's more important to me than volume strictly because of Google doesn't, is not gonna just give you traffic for one keyword, they're gonna give you traffic for 500 related keywords. Excellent, Eric, your take on this one. No, very similarly, uh, do an incognito or private window search of the term you're trying to win and just look at who's in the top 10. If it's a bunch of people that you'd be like, Wow, I'll never be able to win against them. Don't go after the term. I don't care what the search volume is. Yeah. Uh, if it's a bunch of people, you're like, my site is way better than this, you know, authority-wise, not just necessarily your opinion, uh, then go after that term. I, I wouldn't stress as much about the number either. And again, I think that's a great way of looking at it. If it shows up, that generally means you're on the right path to the keyword. And so a lot of times we'll use it to figure out what you should name a post. Maybe you already have a recipe you're making. And there might be a way that people search it that you don't know about. It's a good way to relatively compare things. Like are people looking for crock pots or slow cookers? I don't know. You'd have to go check the two of them and see which one has more search volume, uh, but use both because you can always rank for both. So that's the idea. Like, are you on the right path? So if it shows up, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. That it means it's at least people besides you are searching for it. <laughs> okay. This is a great question from Irene. What are the best SEO practices for updating old posts? We're going to start with Eric on that one. So the one thing I hate more than, I don't know why this is like my biggest pet peeve, are people that republish. So they uh, delete a post and then re-upload it to Google. Google's not dumb. Uh, don't treat Google like they're dumb. Uh, you can just update the existing post. That's okay to do. Uh, we do it all the time on the Hollywood Gossip. And one of the things we love to do is make sure you actually put the date inside the post. Google loves fresh content. Uh, especially since it's a news site and it will always show up as this has been updated five minutes ago and we don't ever delete on the Hollywood gossip and republish. I know a lot of bloggers do that or they just change the publish that date. So it pops back up. I think there's better ways to do that. I look for a plugin that gets it back in your feed. You, you do want to get that post back in your homepage for sure to be able to send back 
uh, kind of like sculpture page rank towards it. So I, I agree with why some people republish, but I wouldn't republish when you're updating. I would go and update the existing content. And I know a lot of people are always like, oh, this is ranking, I don't wanna touch it. I love breaking stuff. Uh, try to optimize it. In worst case scenario, you can always roll back. WordPress and most other CMSs will have a way for you to revert. If somehow you destroy the essence of your post by adding to it, uh, you can always go back. Just watch your rankings on it. Mike, same question to you. I mean, I didn't even know that that was a thing that people would publish a new post. Like I, the, the, when you were talking about that, I, apparently that is, I had no idea. But yeah, definitely don't <laughs> just create a new post. You're gonna lose all of, well, arguably lose all of the traction of rankings that you had on the old or existing post. So yes, obviously we wanna keep the post published or, you know, don't don't delete it. Don't, don't do a brand new post. And the, the way that I look at updating old content is the same way that I would look at if I was, if I had keyword research, a brand new article, right? I, I would look at it, especially if this is something maybe you published a while ago or it wasn't optimized for SEO and, and you're coming at it from an angle of, all right, I need to kind of redo this. It, it's the same thing that I would do if I was creating a brand new piece of content, right? We talked about, do I have a chance for to rank for this? Although arguably if it's already on your site, you're gonna to wanna to leave it. Are you actually targeting a main primary keyword? Is your post matching the user intent? This is like, I think one of the most important parts of SEO that a lot of people overlook is like, does your post actually answer the question or, or the problem that's being posed in the search? And the best way to do that is to just Google your keyword and look at the top three results and, and see what those, like, what are they answering? How are their posts structured? Um, so I look at it from a user intent angle potentially a word count angle just to get an idea of, of you know, again, what are the top three sites doing in terms of word count? Are, are you in that range? But yeah, just generally, like, I would treat it the same way that I would treat a brand new post. The other thing I would say is that if I were, if I was doing like an audit, I'm not sure if this is where this question is, is going. You know, if, if I had old, irrelevant, crappy content on my site and it wasn't getting traffic, I would not only not have any problem deleting that post, um, I, I would recommend deleting that post. Again, if it's has nothing to do, like, you know, some bloggers, they've been lying for five years and, and their first 10 posts were terrible, let's be honest. Um, so if, if you have content on your site that's old, it's not relevant, it's not good, it's not getting traffic, it doesn't have any backlinks, that kind of stuff, I would definitely think about auditing your old stuff and deleting it, updating it, which is this question is asking, potentially merging it with another post if you have a similar um, if you have a similar post on that topic. But it's and not to get off off topic too much, but it's super important. And Google has gone on the record saying this, that they are grading your site as a whole, right? Like top down, right? So if you have a, a blog and you've got a hundred posts on it and you just learned SEO and, and 20 of your posts are good, right? They're, they're SEO optimized, they're actually good posts. And maybe your older stuff is just, it's just not that good just because you didn't know what you were doing. Google is gonna is grade your site on the whole, right? So those 80 posts, I don't wanna say they're holding it against you, but they're, they're, they're factoring it into your blog as a whole when they're grading the overall quality of your site. So you wanna think about that, that older content you might have on your site that maybe again was published a while ago that might not be your best stuff and think about updating it or improving it, potentially getting rid of it. Okay, I'm, we're coming back to that because that was actually a question that was asked way up high on deleting old content. Okay. And it's something that Eric has a blog post on that I believe okay. he might disagree with a little bit. So one second, but when we started talking on this subject, we have 
What about changing the publish date if it's a substantial change, says Ben Taylor. Eric, yeah? So there are two different things. There's published dates and then there's modified dates. And Google actually asks you to put both of them in your schema. You shouldn't be changing the published date. You should be changing the modified date if there's a substantial update. That would be Google's best practices when they talk about dates. They have an entire article on it. They have a schema thing about it. So I will still say no. And that, that's the republishing thing that I was referring to before. I don't like changing published dates because to me, that is lying to Google. And that is the best way to get in trouble with our good friends at Google. I don't know if anybody else out there is a Hamilton fan, but when Eric earlier was talking about how Google is not dumb, I was 100% going, they looked at Google like they were stupid. They're not stupid. And I don't know if that was anyone else, but that was happening to me. Okay. Irene said, Mike, should you re-index in Google search console when you update? Yeah, this is another common one. I don't, I, my answer is no, because I don't think there's a need to do it. Like literally Google's in Google's like the most valuable company in the world. Their entire business model is indexing your content. Like that's their job. That's all like, that's entirely how they are built and they make money is because they go out and they crawl your site. I never, I know some people love to, they publish it and they're so excited and they want to get it indexed in Google. And so they submit it to search console. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I just, it's not something that I do. So it's not something that I recommend because I don't, I do not think it's necessary. If Google's not indexing your content, it's not because you're not submitting in search console. It's because you might have other issues on your hands. So no, I, I do not. I mean, to me, I think it's a waste of time, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I, I don't do that. Okay, Eric, same question to you. Are we re-indexing in Google Search Console when you do a significant update? No, as I say, if you want them to come quicker, then yes, you can go in the Search Console uh, and, and update it. But my advice is generally always, if you're linking to the content and you have a proper sitemap set up, which I can almost guarantee you do if you're running something like Yoast or another SEO plugin, uh, Google will already get the signals to say that this post has been updated and they will re-index it on their own. I would not stress about doing that. Uh, again, you, you have better uses of your time. Uh, but if there's something you changed and you need it updated right away, um, sure, go ahead. And, it's not going to hurt you. Let's, let's go back to the deleting because we've got questions from multiple people saying, how do you delete content correctly? Jennifer says, how do you talk about the steps? Can you talk about the steps deleting old crappy content? What is the right way to do it? We've got people talking about, I've been blogging for 17 years. I cringe when I look at some of my old posts. So Eric, let's talk. Uh, and then Susanna said, is it okay to no index and or make private rather than delete old posts? So Mike gave us his opinion. We'll allow him to, to come back yeah. in a second. Open Eric, the can what do you of worms think? Here. Oh no. We're talking about SEO. Did we not? Was this whole episode not just an enormous fun can of worms? Can of worms. It was just, yeah, Eric, go. No, so I don't actually significantly disagree with what Mike said. Um, I think overall, uh, what he's saying is you have to know when to delete your old crappy content. And that is the part that I try to touch on in my blog post. There's safe ways to delete your content. You need to make sure it doesn't have backlinks to it. You need to make sure you don't have internal links pointing to something or you're going to create a bunch of dead links. And you need to make sure that post doesn't get traffic. If you are confident in all three of those things, delete it and it will have no impact on your life. Uh, it might help, but really the most important thing is removing the links to that content. That is what I try to stress in my blog post. You linking to something is remember, you telling Google, this thing exists uh, and I am passing my authority to it. That is, a, that is basically what a link does in Google's mind. Stop telling them it exists. So we have content from 2006 on the Hollywood gossip. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, so we stop linking to it ourselves on the homepage. We get rid of any archives that are older than I think 2000, like 
I don't know, 12, because how relevant is that celebrity gossip? But we don't delete it. And you'll be surprised how often a Z-lister uh, ends up back in the, in the spotlight from some inane thing that they've done. And we suddenly get a spike in traffic. And that's because we haven't deleted it. And instead, we just don't link. And if you really go with the philosophy of removing links to something, uh, and there are no backlinks to it, then I, again, I, I will say it is, and there's no traffic, then it is fine to delete. Mike, do you have a rebuttal on that or anything you want to add? Yeah, I think there's two separate conversations. So I actually, I would strongly, the way that I'm looking at this, first of all, is from an SEO angle. But second of all, I'm looking at it from an overall site quality. Like that's what we're talking about is the, the quality of your site, right? I, and again, this is not, and I know some SEO stuff is like things that we think Google thinks and some stuff is they will actually say it, right? Whether it's on Twitter with John, I don't know how to pronounce it, is Mueller or Miller? Like he has said in these Google Hangouts, we are grading your site as a whole, right? If you have a ton of low quality content on your site, that content is hurting your site. You can go look it up. He has said this multiple, multiple times. So I'm working first from that, that perspective, right? Overall quality, right? Quality, think about your site as a whole. Do you have a lot of bad content on your site. So if, and I think most sites do, right? And depending on when you started blogging, when you started learning about SEO. So that's kind of where, I, where I'm starting from at the top. If you want to do a content audit on your site, I guess I'm trying to think of a short way to talk about this. The way that I would think about is, do you have poor old content? And, is, and then that's where Eric's getting into the details. It's like a checklist. Well, do you have any backlinks to it? Then you probably don't want to delete it. You know, internal links, you're going to want to remove. Are you getting traffic from Pinterest? Well, then maybe you'll no index it because you want that post on your site. You want Pinterest sending you traffic, but you want Google to ignore it, right? So there's definitely caveats. There's definitely like a, a checklist you could run through that. I mean, honestly, it would take forever to talk about right now. So there's definitely ways to go about it. I just mean from, from a quality perspective, I don't want crappy content on my site because it's going to hurt my SEO. That, that's kind of the way that I'm thinking about it. Eric, anything to add there? Hollywood Gossip does not have crappy content. How could you? <laughs> when I say 2006 wasn't our best years, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's just not as relevant now. It's, it's still wonderful well, content right. about Lindsay Lohan. Or, 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 you know, but that's a good point. Or a relevant content, right? Because think about it. So many bloggers switch their, I used to write about this, or maybe, you know, some bloggers, they used to treat their site as like a diary, right? 300 words on what I had for lunch right? It's totally irrelevant, right? I would strongly consider getting rid of that type of content. If okay, it doesn't we, have, if it doesn't have backlinks, if it's not blah, 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 with all the, all the caveats, mm -hmm. assuming. We have got all, well, first, just, I'm going to jump in and say, having read Eric's blog post a couple of times where he talks about uh, no index or don't link rather than delete, mainly it's talking about not spending a significant amount of your very limited time going through and obsessing over content that you don't, I don't like that anymore. Well, <laughs> write something new as opposed to spending a whole lot of time going through and trying to go through the things that, you know, uh, Sarah said, remember that early blogging book, nobody cares what you had for lunch. <laughs> okay. Um, we have people that are asking a lot of follow-up questions about getting that modified date versus published date. They're asking with Trellis, does changing the date read to Google as modified? How does it work? People are wondering how to get the the, the posts that they've um, edited back into their feed, back onto their homepage feed. What do we need to do here? Are there things that are, <laughs> do we have a plugin? 
help. I'm gonna let Eric handle any schema. Like I, I know my blind spots, so like technical stuff and like schema stuff. Eric, you, you can handle. You can handle those questions. Everything we answered is a new can of worms that I realized I shouldn't. I shouldn't have brought that up. Um, my pet peeve was even irrelevant to the question, and I, and I, I brought this on myself. <laughs> Uh, so the way, uh, so Trellis is designed uh, to allow you to pick whether you show your published, modified, or both. And that, when you're doing that, that's not the schema. That's actually what you're showing in the header to Google. Google's best practices tells you to do both, but sometimes you do both. They like to stick with the published date. So I found a lot of publishers will switch to modified. But what, it's important to note that with Trellis, it's only outputting in the header. The actual schema, which is generally going to be covered by your SEO tool, so something like a Yoast. Again, I'm giving so much free publicity to Yoast and SEM Rush. I want my, my kickback. Uh, those tools will output article, what's called article schema, and they're going to automatically output both the published and modified dates for you. So that's not a thing you're going to need to stress about. And again, rank math, all on SEO. Can't remember the names of the 900 other ones. They're all going to do the same thing. They're all going to output that article schema, and they're all going to already output published and modified for you. So really what you want is your theme, most likely to show the modified date if you made a significant change. Mike, anything to follow up on that? We have no, we have more questions just flowing in on this. No, uh, Eric can handle schema. Okay. Uh, Adriana said, if you just change the date but leave the pictures you originally uploaded, your images will still have the initial date. So unless you remove and re-upload the images, there's no point to change the published date, right? I, again, I, I wouldn't try to be lying to Google, you, and that's not what you're doing. If, you, if you're just modifying something, again, WordPress, and your SEO plugin will automatically take care of this for you. It's going to indicate you updated it. You're not trying to lie to them by saying, this is my modified date. You went in, you modified your post. That's okay. Uh, don't stress if you have some photos in there that maybe give away the fact it's an article from 2004. Google's not angry you wrote the article in 2004. They're happy that you updated in 2021. And look, the whole, the whole part, not the whole, but part of the reason this is somewhat important is Think about when someone is Googling a, a term, these dates are getting pulled into the search, mm -hmm. right? So if, if your article is showing from 2006 and my article is showing from 2021, guess who's gonna get the click, right? That That's really what, at least for, from my perspective, why this is important, right? And this is kind of just SEO in general. And what I see is that people get so stuck on the, kind of the, the the technicalities on the what right like that that picture about the images but think about the why like why are we why is this important right we want to show that we have fresh content updating a post we want to show google that we're, we're consistently updating our content that our content is up to date and google's going to pull that date in the search and again a, a newer date is going to more likely get the click than a date that appears to be outdated because it was written in 2004. So think about, again, I always come back to think about what the user is gonna see in the search results, what they're gonna see on your page, because the click will, will, and this is something I don't think Google will confirm, but the click, right, Google's gonna see who's getting the click, who's not getting the click in terms of their rankings. All very helpful. I, we're gonna, guys, we have, we have more and more questions about dates and our modified dates and what if i have squarespace and what about my dates on squarespace we're going to move ahead because we have a lot more ground to cover um we'll follow up when we can and that says would you guys pay for backlinks to grow authority natural links are dead nowadays eric what do you think oh man <laughs> no no I, I would not pay i would not pay for for links uh, <laughs> in general I don't think you're ever going to be buying quality links. I think there are exceptions and you can hire 
companies that may do more of like a PR style where they'll reach out and get you featured uh, and get links that way. But for the most part, you're just paying for like, I don't know, a, a link farm out of like, I don't know, India or Russia, who, who knows where they're using these days. It's not going to be the quality links that you want. It's not going to help you. Okay, Mike, same question to you. Yeah, I found the question. So this is a, in like 30 words, this is a very loaded question. So what I pay for backlinks, so I think when people say pay for backlinks, they mean like gray hat or black hat or whatever. So no, you don't want to like, right, pay someone 30 bucks for a guest post, right? And the reason we don't want to do that, A, is because Google's very, very, very smart. Like this worked five years ago. And listen, I've been doing this for 10 years. I used to pay for links on like my old, old, old niche sites that don't no longer exist because they probably got penalized, right? So Google is very, very smart now. Do not pay for spammy links, right? Google is going to catch you. And part of the reason they're going to catch you is because if someone's selling you a link for $15, they're selling that to 10,000 other people too, right? So your guest post is going to come along on that site with a thousand other crappy posts, right? And they call that like the link neighborhood. Like you don't want to be in a bad link neighborhood, right? Because Google is going to see, well, there's tons of random stupid links on this page. We're going to penalize everyone, right? So no, don't don't pay for bad, <coughs> excuse me, bad backwards. The second point I would make, and Eric touched on this a little bit, there are definitely, like, and this is like more of an advanced thing. You can hire people to do outreach for you, right? That's different than paying for backlinks, right? And, and there's there's agencies that do this, where you create like a, a piece of link bait or a piece of epic content with the purposes of emailing, you know, and this is cold email outreach, um, emailing people saying, oh, I created this cool thing. Do you want to check it out, right? So that's like more white hat um, link building where you're not going to pay for the link. You're going to publish something great and share it with a bunch of people who probably don't want to hear from you anyway. And, and you can pay people to run that process for you, right? Create the content, you publish the content, they find the email addresses, they send the emails, they do the follow-ups, right? So they're doing, they're building backlinks in a white hat way for you, right? So those services exist, I've used them. You'll get decent white hat links, and I'm gonna put that in quotes, it's not going to be cheap. I, I guarantee you there's not one person on this live that is willing to pay $180 for a link. Um, and that's what it's going to cost you. So there are ways to pay for outreach services. That's how I would phrase it. And then the third part of this question, natural links are dead. I mean, they're definitely not dead. Um, you can get, I mean, help a reporter out is, you know, I have a personal finance site. And I don't, I'm not like a known personal finance person by any means. And I've gotten links from CNBC, Bankrate, creditcards.com, MSNBC, Reader's Digest, right? These are all natural, high authority backlinks. So it's definitely not dead. But that was a good, a good question packed into 50 words. Miriam says, meta descriptions for each page. How important are those? So first I want to clarify that meta descriptions uh, do not directly affect your ranking. So you're not putting in a meta description and suddenly uh, improving your ranking. What those are meant to do is to tell Google, this is my preferred snippet to show on the search results pages. And just as Mike was referring to before with those dates make your thing more clickable, having garbage meta description could certainly hurt you. So I would say it's important for any of your high ranking stuff. You do want to go in and change that meta description uh, because you have a chance of that showing up if Google doesn't think it's smarter than you, which it often does and picks a different description. But if they're gonna end up using your description, 
uh, use that to your advantage. Come up with something you think is gonna make someone click onto your post and not the other nine on that page. And don't stress too much about whether it's going to hurt your uh, rankings. And other advice is put your keyword in there because Google, I don't even know if they still do this, but they'll, they'll definitely more likely to choose it if it has your keyword and they're gonna bold it. Meta descriptions, important on your top ranking stuff, but again, don't, don't stress if you're missing it on, I don't know, a page that isn't ranking. That's not the reason it's not ranking. Mike, same to you. Anything on meta descriptions or, and then we had a follow-up from Miriam is, do you have to have a keyword for each page, like your about page or your contact page? So on the meta descriptions, it's not gonna, it's, it's basically one of those things that everyone does, everyone, they don't have to, but everyone has to do it. It's not gonna improve your ranking, right? It's like at all. It's like, it's like one of those base things that everyone who knows anything about SEO is gonna do, right? So yes, I think you should have a meta description. It takes two seconds. It's not gonna improve your ranking. Google, 50% of the time is not gonna even use your meta description. They're gonna use whatever they want. Where it could come into play, as Eric said, is the click. Like if your meta description is so good that it entices someone to click, that's, I guess that's possible. That's where it comes into play. But these are the, like the little things that I don't, I'm not going to say they don't matter, but it's things that everyone is, everyone who knows anything about SEO is going to do this. Like they're going to fill in their meta description. So in that regard, it's not going to help you. It's not going to give you a, a leg up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I fill in my meta descriptions. Yes. I include my keyword. Yes, they, they appear in the search results. I guess that's kind of the biggest takeaway because they do appear in the result. Well, sometimes if Google decides to use it, um, but as Eric said, it's not going to like, oh, I filled my meta description and I'm going to rank on page one, right? That's not really how it works. It's just another grain of sand in the entire beach of our of our SEO life. And But it's an imp one that we can actually impact. It's not vague, it's there. Uh, and you can frame your content for potential readers on your search results, potentially if Google decides to pull it. <laughs> All right. Kippy says, recipes use the recipe card as the meta description. Can we change that, Eric? Uh, that has to be something custom. Maybe that's like a WP recipe maker integration with Yoast or something, but that's not standard. Uh, in Yoast or whatever, again, I gotta stop using that one. Whatever SEO plugin you're using, using, there's gonna be a section where you fill out your meta description. That should overwrite whatever's in your recipe card. I, I'm not familiar with how that's being set. I mean, yeah, I don't really, this is kind of a very, very specific question that's kind of specific to someone's singular post, so it's really hard to answer. It could be that Google's pulling it. I don't, I don't really know. It could be theme related or plugin related, but it's, it's tough to tell without really knowing the, the post. So we're going to take that recipe card question, use it as a segue here to one of Eric's myths, which I'd like to hear from Mike on, which is that recipe cards make you rank better in general. Yeah, look, the way that I look at, do I need to have this or does this help that is, what is Google? And, and this is the good news about SEO is that Google is, Google's never going to tell us the answer to that question. Google has to tell us is who is ranking on page one for every single keyword that you Google, right? So if you have a specific recipe or maybe it's any recipe and I'm, what I would do, and I'm not a recipe blogger or food blogger, I'm going to Google whatever keyword I'm, I'm looking at, right? And I'm going to look at the top five results and I'm going to see what, do they have a recipe card? Well, if they do, guess what? I'm going to put one in my post. I'm not saying they're ranking in the top five because um, of that recipe, but I'm saying I want to at least match the elements. Um, and, and again, excuse me, I'm not a, I'm not a food blogger, but I, I'm assuming most recipes have those recipe cards. So to answer your question specifically, I can't say because I don't think Google has ever said.
but think about it from, again, the user perspective and what else Google is ranking. Does a user, when they Google for your recipe, do they want to find a recipe card? Does it make their life easier to get through your content? That's how I would think about it. Part one, part two is what else is ranking in Google? Are there 10 results and none of them have recipe cards? That might tell me it might not be as important. Do all 10 of them have a recipe card? That probably tells me that, yes, I want to put one in mine. Okay, first I'm gonna say like, what Mike just said is perfect. Like always look at what the top 10 results are. I've been saying that I think throughout this entire talk. Uh, that is a great way to, to value what Google is looking for on that search term. Remember, you have to do that on each search term. So I think I bungled when I gave you this myth. What I meant to say is, does it matter which recipe card you're using? Oh. Uh, so whoops, Oops. sorry, uh, that was my myth. And that is uh, not just because of Create, which we happen to run here. I know a lot of bloggers will go and switch uh, or now they don't do it as much, but they used to switch recipe cards all the time because I don't know, uh, this certain one was running WP Tasty or this one was running WPRM. I just think at the end of the day, uh, schema as Google will tell you, isn't your actual ranking factor. Schema just makes you eligible for different uh, search appearances as they call them. You'll get into the recipe carousel up top. So you definitely do want a recipe card to make sure you get into the recipe carousel. Restaurant says, don't stress if you're running the wrong one. Obviously, I wanted one to run create. Uh, it's ours, but it doesn't matter if you're not, because as long as they're outputting the schema, that's all Google is looking for out of your recipe card. So pick your recipe card based upon other features. They're all any of the any of the popular ones are going to already output the schema that you need. You don't need to switch, is what I'm saying. Unless it's to create, because there's other cool reasons to switch to create. But you know, uh, that was my myth: is that the recipe card, at the end of the day, the schema is outputted. It's what what matters and the same applies to your seo tool you don't need to switch to yoast or switch from yoast to something else unless you no longer like yoast because it broke your site i don't know what why you chose or you didn't like the payment method whatever it is uh if you have a good reason to leave it you can but chances are they're all outputting the same thing at the end of the day and what you care about is what it's outputting to google uh not which tool uh you're running Ali says, can we get penalized for using recipe cards for non-recipe posts? I've noticed some big bloggers will add in a recipe card to their posts for like roundup posts, even though the recipe card doesn't actually contain a recipe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to say, uh, I, I've firsthand seen this. If you use uh, recipe schema and non-recipe based things, getting what's called, a, it's going to be a manual penalty against you. And you're going to lose access to all of your rich snippets or all of your search appearances. So you won't get any recipes, uh, but Google will tell you if they're, if they're dinging you for that. And I think the famous one I've seen is someone put uh, a, a dog food in a recipe card and they got dinged because it's only supposed to be human uh, consumable. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people used to use recipes for like their how-to crafts and they were getting in trouble, uh, which is why with uh, Create, why we built how-to schema before Google even supported it, just to get bloggers to stop doing that. Uh, so you can get into trouble if you're using recipes for non-recipe posts. Uh, don't do it. Um, and then here's one more follow-up question on that. We are over time, guys. Thank you for hanging out. There's so many questions. Mediavine list versus a regular bullet point list, referring to a create uh, list. Is there a reason when you should use one over the other? Whatever you think is the better user experience uh, is what I'm always going to go with. If it's something that is better served by a bunch of short bullets, like here are the ingredients or materials I used, uh, then go with a bolded list. That's what they're meant for. If you want the more visual style of a list, because I don't know, you're showing the top 20, whatever tech gadgets of, of 2021, uh, then you're going to want the visual list that create offers you. And that's going to mark it up in what's called item list schema. And that's a lot better for if you have uh, 20 actual 
Like you're a roundup, basically. That's what lists are made for. If you're doing a list or a roundup, if you're doing uh, bullets inside of a post, you don't need to use uh, a create list. Excellent. Okay. This is Timothy Dahl. Uh, really quickly, he said, Ahrefs is capable of many things, but what is the core information you pull from it to help support your SEO efforts, Mike? Well, it's they've got several tools. That they've got a keyword research tool where you can do like your manual keyword research. I, they have a competitor tool where I can plug any site on the internet into the tool. It's going to tell me what that site is ranking for. Uh, they have a backlink tool, obviously, if I want to try to spy on competitors, what kind of backlinks they're getting, how they're getting their backlinks, right? It, it's not going to pull all of the backlinks, but it pulls a good amount. Uh, they have a huge database. They have a content explorer feature, which is kind of like a mini search engine where you can just literally search for anything and it'll it'll have the Ahrefs metrics like traffic and domain rating. I, I don't want to get too off course here, but there's a, a really cool, it's called Content Explorer. Uh, they have a rank tracker. So if you want to track where your keywords are ranking in Google, they have that built into the tool. So they have a, a ton of good features and SEM Rush, I think, has many, if not all of the same features. So again, in my opinion, those are the top two. I just personally uh, use Ahrefs. Okay. I'm about ready are... to switch over because there's a couple of tools you mentioned. <laughs> I, SEMrush I, saw your eyes, I saw your eyes light up on a couple of things that he said. <laughs> Sparkling like like it was not Christmas morning because that is not a Jewish holiday. So we are about to- So my to website have... wasn't so dumb, huh? Okay. No, so. I, need, I need it. I would have been confused had that not been there. We are about out of time. This has been a amazing hour with lots packed with lots of information. I think we definitely need to do it again, which all the questions will show. And so we'll have to twist Mike's arm and get him back here one more time. But before we go, I will take you saying yes publicly if you would like to. All your faces in here. There's a lot of people from my group, though. I appreciate you guys showing up, Allie, Lisa. Okay, last thing for both of you before we move on, and, and I want to say also, we apologize if we didn't get to your question today. We will definitely do this again. And thank you to everyone for watching for the last few months during the Summer of Live. It's our fourth season. We had a great time. We will be back with Teal Talks in the fall, about mid-September, the, um, the 12th, Tuesday the 12th. So stand by for announcements on that. But before we go, guys, we are approaching magic time for all content creators, for the majority of them, which is Q4. We know that the advertisers are going to be spending a lot of money. Everyone's going to be online looking for the things that lifestyle uh, bloggers write about. What is one thing that you would recommend our audience of content creators do now to position themselves for Q4? Mike, I'll start with you. Look, so I, again, I, I come at stuff from an SEO angle. So my, my thing is I, I want to get up as is, is much high quality content published on my site as fast as possible, right? To give us a chance. What are we in now? August, right? Uh, depending on your site's authority and how old your site is, it's usually going to take a little bit of time to, to rank in Google. So if you're if you're thinking about content um, that you want to rank and get traffic for, for for Q4, just think in the back of your head, it's going to take at least several weeks, if not longer, um, in order to get that stuff ranking in Google. But again, at the end of the day, at least the way that I build my sites, it's just more content, more high, high quality content day after day, week after week month after month, that's how you kind of build that library of content that, that really gets momentum going and gets you ranking, whether it's Q1 or, or Q4. So chances are uh, it's going to be seasonal content that is ranking well for you in Q4. So uh, maybe take this time to go and update some of those posts, not to be confused with republishing them. Use all this great advice you got on published versus modified dates. Uh, yeah, I, I would get ready to start touching those posts up and, and getting them fresh in Google's mind because chances are a lot of them are going to make reappearances. So make sure they're optimized for ads, optimized for SEO, 
good chance to relive that old Q4 content while you're making new Q4 content. So double dip. We love double dipping. It's delicious. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you. It's been a great time. Enjoy the rest of your summer, you guys, and we'll see you soon. On Air is brought to you by Mediavine. If you're creating amazing and original content, we are here to help. From ad management with maximum earnings and 24-7 support to cutting-edge WordPress plugins, our team has your back. Want free tips in your inbox? Subscribe to our newsletter at mediavine.com slash subscribe. If you're a Mediavine On Air fan, and why wouldn't you be, please give us your five-star rating love and subscribe wherever you're listening.